0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik, and this is episode 114 with Swanee Astrid. We talk about mythology, writing, Iceland, runes, all sorts of mystical, magical stuff, and also a really interesting conversation about gender. I think you're really going to enjoy it. You are invited to visit Swanee's website, which is the Contemporary Norn, we well, will link to that in the episode description, but if you have a question about life and love or anything, you can send her an email and she will do a rune casting for you, which is pretty flippin' sweet. This episode is sponsored by, guess what, my thesis project, Transactions, which is a staged reading of a script that is being written by myself and Ayla Sullivan, Denver's current youth poet laureate. And it is about gender and theater and how to make the industry more inclusive of gender diversity. And it's very cool cause I got to go to New York recently and I met with a good chunk of the folks who are characters in the piece. And so that has lit a fire under my ass, so to speak. Uh, to come back and really hit these rewrites hard. The show is going to be one afternoon only, Super Bowl Sunday, February 4th at noon. Suggested donations for the tickets are $10. All of the ticket sales benefit Trans Lifeline, which is an amazing organization that helps transgender folks in crisis uh, or who might need some cash. And, You can get tickets on the Derry's website. It's at noon on that Sunday in the Carson Theater. More info in the episode description. And hey, if you're looking for a unique present for that queer or trans theater geek in your life, might I suggest having them be part of the transactions 100 hashtag transactions 100 what we're looking for is 100 folks who are willing to donate 10 dollars. that gift is completely tax deductible thanks to the generosity of the catamounts which is an awesome local theater company so there'll be a link to that as well it's uh, coloradogives.org transactions so help make some queer trans Theater art happen, and right now we're going to take you to the dulcet tones of the interview between myself and Swanee Astrid. Please enjoy episode one hundred and fourteen. I'm really excited. To be outside for once, we're at Saw Hill Ponds with Swanee Astrid. Welcome to the podcast.
1: <gasps> that was my fake audience. There's, there's hundreds that of was, people ah. here. Well, if by people you mean birds, then absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, dear listeners, you may
0: hear birds and planes and dogs and things. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Be in the space with us. <laughs> be here with us now. Uh, so I hear that you are working on a kind of major translation, memoir, divination project right now. Tell me all about
1: it. All right. I think here's where um, it would be good if I had an elevator pitch prepared. Yeah. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just like look at this as the beginning to that. So. Um, Yeah, this translation project that I have going on was really kind of inspired by some um, investigation that I was doing on uh, heroics, but sort of refeminizing them Um, You know, I love my King Arthur stories. Beowulf meant a lot to me and is one of the reasons why I became a writer But you know, um, I also really lament uh, not having very many women figures in that kind of canon. So um, you know coming to grad school That was definitely sort of a mission of mine. So um, my critical thesis, I was looking at characters like um, Grendel's mother from Beowulf. And um, I also looked at um, Brunhild from uh, the Volsung Saga, if you're looking at the Icelandic prose version. Or uh, the tale also exists in um, the Poetic Edda, or the Prose Edda. I'm a little blurry on those timelines, um, but um, written by Snorri Sturluson, so I think that would have been the poet, I'll get it, because of prose that I came before that. Um, and also in the Nibelunga Saga, which is Germanic-based. Um, and then I was sort of also looking at other figures like um, Xena, you know, as sort of like okay. like, like a cross-section between um, horisticity and where we're at in feminism right now. Um, and then using that to segue into uh, Anne Waldman and her Iovus trilogy, and how that's like a thousand-page epic narrative um, covering like 30 or 40 years so that's sort of the transition that I was taking there but as I was working on the project I really really became um, somewhat obsessed with Brunhild just because um, I identified a lot in some major ways um, just with that saga in general but then um, on a personal narrative kind of level which is sort of how it's like part translation. Um, I'm working with the Volsung Saga, and and particularly translating the sections where um, she, Brunhild, is in direct conversation. Um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, that's that's kind of why um, I decided to really pursue her. Um, but then also there's, like, the memoir aspect of it uh, where I my parents, it's kind of a romantic story, um, <laughs> but my parents were both uh, stationed in Iceland in Reykjavik um, in, like, 1988. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, like, fell in love and ended up getting married while they were there and conceiving my, my twin sister and I while we were there. And um, so, you know just in general, being really inspired by, um, the idea of like legacy and ancestors and ancestry and what it means to be a descendant, because I do have some mixed ancestry. Um, I'm pretty Nordic, which is kind of what draws me to those canons most specifically. Um, but, you know, I have some, uh, Native American ancestry that's pretty distant and unrecorded. Um, so, there's that and then also a little bit of Jewish so um yeah really just trying to um yeah like look for some roots and origins and like what does that really mean is is it like your nationality is it like your place of birth or you know like where do we really start coming into being um sort of being a human who's really, really influenced by the idea of reincarnation, um, and also if you get into the idea of epigenetics, um, you know, what sort of, like, um, history, lived history actually carries on in your genetics. And so being conceived in this, like, pretty mystical place with some very powerful, like, legends and magic, and, um, you know, I just have this kind of, like, inspired by this idea of ghost ancestry, or in the idea of like also being a bard or a scribe or someone who um, is able to channel or or is a conduit for, um, for spirits to speak, um, which is kind of how the divinatory part comes into the project. Um, so yeah, I, I really kind of wanted to go back to, yeah, that the idea of an origin and like where my actual origin was it wasn't you know it was in this place that i've never i've never really been um i haven't seen it yet i don't speak icelandic um, <clears throat> but um you know it's a very heavy part of my culture my father uh he does translation mostly from swedish um but he has a practice and study in all of the scandinavian and nordic languages and um he did live live there for two years when he was stationed, so he got to know the language a good bit. So I'm actually kind of working with him. It's kind of fun like oh, father wow. daughter project. Nice. Um, and I mean, because it's a memoir, you know, like I do talk about my family a bit and you no know, family is perfect. Um, but it's really nice to have him have his support um, in talking about just like our family trauma um, from my mother past um when I was sixteen from leukemia. Oh wow. So that's also um like a very crucial aspect to it is as I'm investig investigating origins, as I'm investigating sort of like feminine heroics. Like my mother was like you know, the only thing that could have gotten her down was stage six, acute myelogenous leukemia. Um like so there's definitely some veneration um you know and like You know, right now, where I'm kind of at with my project is, um, you know, how to like venerate someone as an ancestor. Um, So that's come out a little bit just through the process and action of translation with Brunhild. But then, um, you know, it's definitely a tenor that exists in the saga itself, which is grief. Um, And betrayal, you know All of those like beautiful bloody things That Mm. we picture Viking sagas and tales um, to be about It has all of that, a lot of family drama (laughs) Um, So, I mean, it's all kind of like a delicate act of weaving And, you know, I've sort of got this project This translation project compartmentalized in certain ways You know, um, which is, you know I don't know what to say about it, except that, um, right now I'm kind of like working on these things separately. I'm working on the translation, sort of the memoir aspect. Um, and then there are some various offshoots that I have going on to help with the, um, actual, like, um, generation of material. So, um, you know, taking the rune poem, um, dialogue, but that between Brunhild and Sigurd, um, the hero who comes to wake her up um, with a kiss—it's sort of a proto briar Rose story. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, taking those those rune poems and then I'm uh, making a letterpress project out of that, where I'm taking I'm doing each one as its own little sort of like broadside card, um, that ideally will help fund me to go to Iceland. And also, there is. Uh, like I have a rune practice that i uh that started like um pretty like more heavily, I dabbled a little bit um but using the runes as a way to sort of divine conflicting aspects of the saga because you know if you each story changes a little bit with each teller that 's kind of the beauty of it, but also kind of the uh like <laughs> right. what is real so Um, runes, um, just a quick explanation of what those are, um, they are, um, you take some kind of, like, token, usually an organic token, so maybe it's made out of wood, maybe it's made out of antler, um, or, you know, bone of some kind, um, those are kind of the most popular, or stones, um. I've seen uh, rune practitioners who work with specific, like, stones, depending on, you know, what they're trying to cast. Um, (coughs) Pardon me. Um, And essentially what runes are, uh, they're also kind of called like stave marks, because they're basically made out of, like, vertical or horizontal lines that you arrange um, in, like, sort of a pictographic manner. and a lot of them are actually like uh, sort of transliterate to something like like the rune for strength, um, Urus, is uh, symbolic of antlers. Um, so, in the sense that an ox has strength, or that in like, you know, antlers themselves are very strong, you right, know? Right, yeah. Um, if you've ever been up in Estes Park and seen the elk clashing, um, you're just like, wow, I can't believe. Like those aren't breaking off right now, so um, that kind of idea <coughs> um, so runes there are depending which um, which age you're kind of working from um, they 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 essentially work as an alphabet in ways as well, so you know like how language changes over time. Um, these things change over time too, but I work with a twenty five set runes um, <coughs> Which contain the runes of the Elder Futhark, <laughs> um, fun name Futhark, um, and but also one um, completely blank stone, which is kind of known as the Odin Stone, or like sort of the mystery. If you're if you're into uh, Joseph Campbell's hero cycle, this would be sort of the like descent into the unknown kind of kind of idea. So, yeah, um, it's a yeah. Yeah, ask me some questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, it's, I could hear you talk, I could listen
0: to you talk about process forever, but you talk about compartmentalizing the different aspects of the memoir. Do you, how, what is your writing process like? Do, you n- do the different aspects sort of call to you, or do you sort of set an intention of <coughs> going to work on the memoir for this many hours this week, or is it more fluid?
1: I'd say it's pretty fluid, and... <clears throat> Um, you know, it would be nice to, like, I really wish I could say I was like a regimented writer and I got (laughs) up at five every morning and like wrote for three hours. A cup of Earl Grey tea and yeah. God, yeah. Well, no, it would just be really thick coffee, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Like mud. Um, so I, yeah, it is much more fluid, I guess we could say. Um, I would say that. Now that I have the bulk of what I want translated translated, that's just sort of hanging out. And to keep it still alive, that's one of the reasons why I brought it, um, you know, into my life as a letterpress project. Um, And I mean, the memoir aspect, um, I'll touch on that in a minute, I guess, because that's sort of where I'm having the most difficulty. Sure. Um, But, so right now, sort of the most active part of um, this, like, translation project is really just, like, deepening myself in Rune Wisdom. Because that is a major hallmark of Brunhild's character. Um, You know, she, she gave her wisdom to the hero so he could go, you know, back to the world and, you know... I mean, this was already after he had killed the dragon Fafnir and gotten all his gold, but um, like she gave him some really solid advice so that he just like wouldn't like lose himself, and so that he could continue to be the master of himself. Um, So, um, yeah, and I'd say that that's it's been really um, it's a it's a process um, that has really given back to me because um, you know in order for it to grow um you know it really called to me to to um make a community for myself out of it you know just like how there are like mol- various kinds of spiritual communities or people who like to get together and like read palms or do tarot um you know i, I saw uh, an ability to bring that as a presence bring runes as a presence and um you know i f- also feel a good deal of impetus not just with my translation project but um in thinking of these surges of neo-nazism and how a lot of like nazi symbols are actually um runic symbols Mm. and like very powerful runic symbols um but they are being like misused like for straight up evil and um you know, in what corner of the world that I occupy and who I reach, um, you know, I definitely have an, a goal to show people that like um, Otella, which is the sign that sort of looks like a vertical fish, like a triangle with a bit of a tail, mm. um, that if, if you've looked at um, like uh, like images from newspapers that are painted on shields, that's actually a symbol for family and kind of makes sense why they would choose that to put on their shield. But like more than family, it really kind of um signifies the energies that permutate between inner and outer. And like where, you know, we keep boundaries, you know, familial boundaries or, you know and also, um, like, it kind of using objects like the runes to investigate these issues kind of helps twist the prism a little bit in the sense that, like Entrance sort of um, Outlines exclusion zones Mm. You know which is um, You know we kind of Sometimes we take entrance for granted Or we resent exclusion But there's like um, a very delicate And sacred balance with that Um, And you know If the common population doesn't know What these things mean or really mean Or have no way of relating to them You know like ignorance is its own kind of power Um, And like You know can, I don't know, be a very demonstrably uh, destructive. Absolutely. So, so that's one thing. Um, so, so yeah, that's a very active and alive. And um, if anyone would like a reading, <laughs> they can they can email me at contemporarynorn at gmail.com. Um, and you know just like, you know, shoot me a problem. And I won't, it, it will be anonymous, I do post these to um, my website, caswani.wordpress.com, but it'll be anonymous and you will get emailed your own, like, reading, so you have it for yourself. Um, anyway, and that's for free. That's just because, you know, I want to build community and help demystify things a little bit and, you know, we all need the help that we can get. Yeah, in, we do. this day and age. Um <laughs> So then the sort of like the third key to this process is um, is the, the memoir aspect. And like, how do I draw upon, you know, my family experience, my personal experience um, and working with aspects that are in the saga? Like, you know, um, there is sort of like an overwhelming I don't know if you would call it theme. Per se, but, um, of, like, they're just like no mother characters, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, that's something that I'm relating to. I'm relating to twin dynamics. Mm. Um, the parents of Sigurd happened to be, uh, incestuous twins. Mm. Um, so, you know, really just the twin dynamic there. Gotcha. Um, but that's something. Um, I'm playing with, um, Ambiance, you know? Um, and so that kind of, that's where I'm a little stuck at at the moment because, like I said, I've never been to Iceland except like in utero. Um, and, uh, you know, how can, how can, it's sort of an ethical question in writing. Like, how can you really write about something that you don't know about, especially a place, especially as one as potent as Iceland that comes with a lot of imagery? Like, gorgeous imagery. Like, I follow some, like, Icelandic Instagram accounts. <laughs> and they're stunning. Like, oh my god. Especially, well, this doesn't have anything to do with it, really. But, like, Cats of Reykjavik. What? I'm going to have to follow this. It's pretty cute. Um, so, so um, yeah. I um, have been... Uh, sort of planning and organizing and really mostly just kind of dreaming about what my voyage there would look like. Um, it's one of the reasons why I have this letterpress project going, um, is to help fund a GoFundMe. Um, you know, a little bit of reciprocity in the artist community. Absolutely. I'm all about that. Um, so <clears throat> my goal is to go this summer um, and I mean, I, I do vacillate a little bit on when I should go. Like, when is the right timing? And the answer to that, dear readers, advice to you is now. Just like, you know, if you've got some room on your credit card, just travel. Just travel. It's now. It's yeah. now. Um, but you know, the um, I'm really really interested in going when their pride is going on. Uh, they have one in August. They have
0: pride in. They Iceland. have two. They, they have two
1: pride. Two fucking prides. Um, one is in August which um, also I hear is one of the best times if you want to surf in Iceland. So that's something that intrigues me greatly. No, did know you could surf in Iceland. You had to hit the right time of year, you know, because the, the weather there can be very dangerous, but, and you definitely have to wear a wetsuit. But yeah, apparently you can surf in Iceland, so that's on the list. Um, uh, and then the other time, they have a winter uh, pride called the Bifrost, which, um, for those of you who do know your uh, Nordic lore, you're probably giggling. For those of you who don't know, um, the Bifrost happens to be the bridge um, that connects, like, the World Tree, um, Yggdrasil, where all the sort of, um, uh, the best way, to, like, kingdoms or, like, astral planes with different beings exist. So the Bifrost is the bridge that connects that to Midyard or Middle Earth or earth yeah um our dear sweet planet um i love you dearly and uh so yeah bifrost and the bifrost happens to be like valentine's day week um which kind of has this added like um like like just bonus or whatever because that happens to be my parents anniversary weekend oh wow as far as wedding goes so that seems very auspicious to try and go then but you know the time is now and Unfortunately, I can't take the time off in February, so it will be the summer, Um, but yeah, I mean, there's also like at a very deep primal level, um, you know, the energies of fire and ice up in Iceland because it's a fucking volcano and it's also, like, covered in ice. Like, well, probably not the volcano itself, but but the island, you know, it's Iceland. Yep. Yep. Um, You know, even though it is pretty green and the Vikings thought that they were being clever, it is damn cold there and it snows a lot. So, Um, so, you know, those are really, um, like, fire and ice. They're kind of at the root of everything. Like, if you look into, like, rune lore and, like, the... um, Esotericism of of um, their dynamics, and um, just sort of how um, the um, the Nords sort of like grouped um, like the energies. Um, you know, there's fire, there's ice, there's earth, there's salt, there's venom. Um, if I had my rune books, wow. I could just like really enumerate more to you. But um, you know, and It's just really fascinating stuff, and I'm just stoked the more I get to learn about it. But, um, uh, yeah, like, the geography is what's really kind of killing me, because I also really think a lot about, um, I, you know, think, I use the term psychogeography, um, and Explain yes, um, because like eco psychology is already kind of sure. like a thing that exists, but I differentiate eco psychology with what did I say? Ge- psychogeography. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. Um, in the sense that eco psychology kind of relates to the living realm, and I think of psychogeography. Um, I mean, I'm a huge gamer. So, like, in 2005, I started playing World of Warcraft. Gotcha. And was pretty heavy and, like, played on and off. Um, but even before that, I just loved fantasy literature. Like, Tolkien is kind of my everything. Yeah. Um, and so, and just, like, also being a writer and, like, creating um, a visual space that you move through, but, like, sort of as a proxy, like, person, um, and, and you know, these imagined spaces are real, even though they're not like tangible, you know, you can't walk the road, but you know, um, like thinking of World of Warcraft, like I can totally tell you how to get to Stormwind from Shattrath, um, you know, that takes like maps and directions and know how and, and things like that. It It's like, like, even though it's digital and like a virtual reality, it is um, an, it's an embodied space in a kind of way, even though it's totally disembodied. It's like, yeah, so it's those kind of things that like really fascinate me. But um, yeah, geo-psycho-geography, Um Like, I'm just like really interested in how we create these um, fantastical places and how they articulate things that we can't in the real world. Um, you know, sometimes the fiction is truer than nonfiction, right. in a sense. Um, and especially when you start talking about archetypes. Um, and, like, I'm, I'm really rooted in, like, hero archetypes. And, um, and just, like, you know, what kind of person are you? <laughs> and how do you move through space? I have a question okay. about how you moved through space as a younger being
0: and where you first got a hunger for telling stories?
1: Mm, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't know that it was so much a hunger for telling stories, but a hunger for listening to them. Gotcha. Um... And, you know, my mother was a really great storyteller. You know, usually when, I mean, as a family, you know, our safe space altogether was on the bed reading books. And, like, uh, Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, It was kind of one of my first memories. Um, But my mother also made up stories for my sister and me, um, kind of using us as the main characters. And, you know, like, if Anna and I had just recently had a fight, our mom might use that sort of as, like... (laughs) (laughs) As the lesson, the moral to the story. This is oddly relevant this right? evening. That one's you. No, that one's you. <laughs> um. So, and I remember, I forget where we were going, but um, our mom and dad actually kind of took turns telling the story of the Nibelungs to us, um, which is the Germanic version of the Volsung Saga with Brunhild. Um, and the Nibelungs were... I mean, it's really just a saga. I could go on, take up the rest of the time <laughs> for that. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, the Nibelungs, the, that's like the Germanic kind of family. Volsung's, Nibelungs, Bergens. Gotcha. Um, so, so that was fun. Yeah, that, that story really stuck out to me. Um, but then my grandpa also um, is a natural storyteller. And it's through him where I would have like native ancestry. Um, and we believe it's Cherokee, which is a very, like, story, like, storytelling is a very rich part of that culture and, um, you know, just, you know, observing ancestry where it might exist. So, um, yeah, my grandpa told a lot of stories and then at some point, I mean, I was already writing a lot of poetry and, like, doing the literary magazine in high school and, like, trying to deal with my angst and grief Um, from my mother passing, and that was actually, like, the best outlet I could have had. Um, and then, (laughs) so, so I guess how, the real reason how I decided I wanted to tell stories is actually a little bit petty, but, um, I was reading Aragon at the time, um, which is this, like, dragon, um, trilogy, or maybe there's four books in the series, but, I mean, it borrowed a lot from Dragon Riders of Pern, but, um... You know, it was still its own thing with its own characters and storylines. And um, I found out that the, when I found out that the author was like 17 when he wrote it, and then I found out that we had the same birthday. I was like, I was like, well, if Christopher Paolini (laughs) can write this best-selling fantasy story, I can too. So I I started, I think I actually got about 20 pages in. um, And I hope to come back to that, you know, when all is said and done. Um, because there's definitely some interesting characters that I would like to bring to actual life in that story. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I am really just kind of was a poet. And then, you know, I worked on in undergrad. I was took like nonfiction as my concentration because, um, you know, as much as I love fiction, I also see the story in the every day. And that's kind of the most enchanting thing to me. Um, and also kind of what keeps me going, (laughs) where, you know, know, like in the words of Winston Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep going. And like, that'll just be the most exciting part of the novel or whatever, where, you know, your audience will be like, what's going to happen next? Will she graduate or won't she? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's where it started. And then, I, yeah, I did write kind of... I have a literary novel that I finished as my master's thesis, um, but it's, like, very contemporary. And I like it a lot, but, um, you know, I'm just, like, I just really actually want to live up to the statement of, like, be the change you want to see in the world. Right. And um, what really called me to my current place in life was reading Anne Waldman's Feminifesto which is like sort of very central to like my thesis and my whole idea around like refeminizing the hero archetype, um, you know, where she was just talking about like, you know, like gender beyond gender, you know, Mm. like neither male nor female, but like its own pure energy on its own. And I was like, yes. Um, where do I sign up? How do I study (laughs) with this woman? Um, so, um, So, you know, I'm really kind of looking at this project itself as a way to relanguage how we look at um, not just like heroin archetypes, um, but, you know, how we can like relanguage through archetypes. And I guess like kind of the biggest part of the memoir aspect, um, even more than, you know, kind of like. Dealing with these ideas of um, like grief um, is really um, kind of putting my place and uh, as an example of that, um, which is I think I'm still kind of like trying to figure out like um, what that looks like, since since writing and storytelling to me is very much creating a visual picture. Um, and like here's where we get to dive into the fun topic of gender. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, because you know, like ever since I was like like little, um before i I encountered Zena, where you're princess? Um, <laughs> you know, I was I just like wanted to be all rough and tumble and like, you know, thought of and saw myself as a boy. And you know, mostly like Mowgli from the line uh, from from the Jungle, Jungle book. book, yeah. Because yeah, I wanted to talk to all the animals and stuff, which yeah. I still kind of do, but it's low key, low key psych- telepathy, Te- telepathy, <laughs> whatever. Um, but yeah, um, then just like growing older and um, you know being more comfortable in my body, which is a woman's body, but it's um, I mean. And here I go doing something that, like, one shouldn't do, comparing themselves to another person. But, like, my twin sister, she's got, like, kind of a perfect hourglass. She got all the estrogen on the way out. (laughs) (laughs) That's a thing. That might be, like, my favorite phrase ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she didn't get all of it, but she really got a lot of it. And um, so just, like, um, all my life, I've been definitely the tomboy. And... um, just kind of like being out of like the home or just like away from where I grew up because it's like kind of a very heteronormative, conservative, like suburban kind of area. Um, um, and just kind of like, like kind of making an oath to myself to just go with whatever feels natural. And in doing that, like, I've really, really like, um, just identified myself as like, I feel like some of the words are like interchangeable or maybe it just depends on the body or the mind and the body. But like seeing myself as like really gender fluid, like I kind of like, in, like to joke and say I'm an ambisexual, <laughs> you know, depending on the task. Right. I, I'm more masculine or I'm more feminine. Um, and what's really interesting is that like lately more people have been, um, have asked me what my pronouns are sure which I totally get because um the way well just to give you all an idea of like how I'm dressed right now (laughs) I mean you know it's anyone could wear it really but just because I have a very like just like straight flat figure um like I get read as a man a lot so right now I'm wearing like black jeans they're tight I'm wearing like a a men's flannel shirt underneath um, like a wool sweater, so very nondescript um, cowboy boots. I do have like a long mohawk, Um, so you know, it's like very queer haircut. And so, yeah, I get um, asked what my pronouns are all the time, and it's something that I... I don't know, what's it, you know? Like, I feel, like, like a little weirded out and intrigued but also glad that they're asking me but also kind of offended in the sense where I'm just, like...
0: Well, it's that, it's that thing, right? Of people saying, you look like someone who I should ask the pronouns uh-huh. of. And that, like, that is not an experience I have personally even <laughs> if I'm wearing, like, right now I am wearing a blazer and a shirt that says they, then theirs on it. <laughs> and still, I'm still... Um, most of the time, I'll get she'd by folks who don't know me. Um, and mm-hmm. but I get what you're saying. Like there is an uncomf- like either there is a discomfort. I right? either ask everyone their <coughs> pronouns or no. You know, like don't pick mm-hmm. and choose who you're asking. Yeah. About their pronouns.
1: And it also kind of like it like puts a little bit of damn in my in my sense of fluidity and a, a little bit. And that I do have to define where, um, you know. But I also love that I am in a woman's body. I feel like there's a lot of power in being in a woman's body and um, being sort of like a low key practitioner of Aikido and like the idea of where your Hara, your energy center is in your root chakra. And um, my friends, such a thing as womb envy exists because you know, that is like a center of creation. Yes. And it's very powerful. And so there's a lot, a lot of Hara, a lot of energy in women. Um, and I really love seeing how we're tapping into it, which is why like, I also feel a lot of urgency with this project, but, um, so I really identify with being in a woman's body, but like, I feel like my mental mindset is very masculine. Um, even though I'm like domestic as hell and I'm like, <laughs> let me mother you, you know? Um, <clears throat> but the way that I talk and interact and move through the world, um, you know, I, I'm I'm just kind of stopping myself and laughing a little bit because, like, you know, like, that is a way that we could all move in the world. Right. Right. Like, not with a sense of entitlement, but with empowerment. So, you know, whatever translation we need to do to make that happen would be great. Um, but, I mean, yeah, ultimately, ultimately, uh, yeah. So trying to articulate this idea of queerness and with the idea of like being a warrior which um which to me um ultimately means just like what kind of focus do you have in your life you know because that is like kind of like the primary trait that you need as a warrior is focus to accomplish your task or to defeat your foe whatever that may be maybe you are like a warrior, like a soldier, like maybe you are actually conscripted to go to war, and your foe is another human being. Maybe your foe is your landlord. Um, (laughs) Maybe your foe is um, just the idea of the binary, you know, patriarchy, the patriarchy. So yeah, your focus and how you're willing to train that. And so, um, um, yeah, all of these things. All of the things you are such an inspiring person
0: to me, like to me, your name and warrior are interchangeable in like the way I see you energetically yeah. um I'm just wondering, as we sort of as our time we're at the beginning of the end of our time, like what advice do you have for artists or social activists or people who are trying to maybe get a
1: greater sense of clarity of focus just you know because this is a teaching moment, um, this is sort of like the bedrock of my teaching philosophy. I really believe that we all know what we need to know. We just need to know that we know it. And a lot of that, you know, a lot of that comes just from experience. You know, you can have all the wisdom without any of the experience. So my friends, make, your, make bad choices wisely. Ah! that's gonna be my bit of wisdom because i feel like maybe you've heard everything all before you know just like follow your instincts don't listen to what anybody else has to say don't make comparisons um just like yeah make bad choices wisely like know who you are know how you encounter problems and um know uh how to like, what your resources are. Like, really be able to situate yourself in your place and time and be like, okay, if this happens, then I know that I can do this kind of idea. Yeah. Make bad choices wisely. Because you, you will anyway. You'll make bad choices anyway. Just like, It's true, isn't yeah, it? Let's just say that and get it out of the way. And just, like, let's just forgive ourselves. I forgive you. You forgive you. Woodick, I think you forgive. I forgive everyone. That is really the greatest power There is, um, aside from love. But forgiveness is kind of an articulation. Being gentle with oneself. Like that's like that
0: is my number one hard thing. Oh.
1: Yeah. So number so number one, (laughs) make bad choices wisely. Number two, (laughs) if you need a nap, you take that nap. (laughs) If you need to not do the thing, just so that you can like do your chores, you know, like those things are necessary too. They're mundane, they may not necessarily they may not feel like they're leading to your your truth. But, you know, keep it just, you got to keep it clean.
0: So folks, you've heard it here first, Uh, make bad decisions wisely, take a lot of naps, Mm -hmm. (laughs) follow. It's sort of, what I'm also like hearing in, 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 in your words is something that I believe really strongly for myself is, always give yourself permission to follow your highest level of excitement, even if it doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, totally. Because like, you know, that's, that's just following your joy right there. And, um, you know, kind of, if I hope we are all warriors or like growing into be warriors or just kind of, you know, recognizing what that opening means for you, you know, a warrior aside from focus must also be supple and they must also be strong so that really does mean, like, taking care of yourself and knowing your outer limits. Um, and, and uh, you know, I love that you brought up, like, following your enthusiasm, your joy, because that those are the things that will test them. And even if you feel fear, like, I'm sorry, but fuck fear. It's, it's the thing that tells you that there is something worth obtaining. So, it's, like, just embrace it. Love that fear. Love that fear. I think that's a great note to go out on, don't you?
0: Sure. Love that fear! <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We'll put links to your site in the episode description. Mm-hmm. Go see anything that Swanee invites you to online. You're an incredible human Thank and you. artist, and I'm honored that you came to talk with me for a little bit. Thank you. Um,
1: likewise.